Oh, Rob, you're already here. Good of you to be here. Hello, I am. I'm I'm early for a change. Well, that's good. You must be excited for this episode. I I am actually. I I was excited leading up to it, and without giving away any spoilers, I'm I'm excited after watching it too. Oh, interesting. Well, before we get into it, do you have any notes from our listeners this month? I do. I have a quick one this time. Uh, it comes from the Australian Class Enthusiasts group on Facebook, or ACE. Hello to all the people in ACE. Yes, hello. It's an <laughs> interesting discussion there. There certainly is. There's, um, there's, there's more and more content going up there. There's videos. Dallas Jones is, is an absolute demon getting around the internet, finding magazine articles and photos. And it's not just BBC stuff, too. He's pulling all sorts of sources. And it's really useful, actually, to be able to read it all in one place. Yeah, no, it's not a bad group, that. All right, this is Karina Richardson-McCoy. She says, love the podcast. Oh, thank you, Karina. Yep, we she... don't need to say anything more, do we? Oh, yeah, we'll stop there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she says, just a quick comment. We didn't see Tanya's brothers in the first two episodes, but she does mention to Ram during their Skype chats that they, i.e. her brothers, were the only people she could talk to about her dad's death. I quite like Miss Quill, lol. So... Thank you, Karina. That That's good, because I remember last episode, I was a bit confused as to whether we knew Tanya had brothers or not, and they, they just sort of appeared in some scenes, but it sounds like they were prefaced in, in earlier episodes. I just missed it, apparently. Yeah, that's fair enough. So thanks for um, pointing that out for us. Absolutely. And I think before we get on to this episode, I'll just flag that the three class novels have arrived in the mail for me. Have yours arrived yet, David? No, I don't think mine have been shipped yet, but I went with a local supplier rather than a UK supplier, so... Maybe that was my mistake. Gosh, it's a sad state of affairs when the UK can ship here faster and for free than a local mob, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit. Mm. Anyway, I'm sure we'll talk about those in upcoming episodes or the TARDIS library or somewhere along the line we'll get to talk about those. I posted a picture of them on again on the ACE group on Facebook and people were like, oh, I want those. Where do you get those? And they were quite excited. So I think there might be some love for the books out there too. Yeah, I, I think so. And it's also interesting the way that this show generally, as well as all the paraphernalia, is slowly sinking out into the Australian ether. It, it's had a very slow burnout here, I think. I don't know whether it's more or less so than the UK, but it, it is something that I think people are slowly discovering more and then learning that there is more out there and there's more ephemera out there and the books are out there. So I do feel this burn is increasing, but very slowly out here. Yeah, and I'll just say it's manageable too. I mean, there there are three books. I mean, you can buy all three of them from... I got them at Book Depository for 12 bucks a pop. So all three for 36 bucks. done, you've got them all. It's not like it's it's a monthly release or two coming out every month and you're having to collect all these crazy books all the time. It's it's no. a fairly manageable little collection if you do want to get into them. Yeah, and that's that's a good thing. But um, it'd be interesting to see where it, it goes long term because I know that... Um, some other team-based shows have actually done quite a lot of spin-off book series because obviously that's the demographic they're aiming for. So I guess it all depends on how the books sell, but also how the series goes. We still don't really have a feeling of whether this show is a success commercially or not. Yeah, none at all, because obviously in the UK it's coming out on iPlayer first. It may get on, on telly later, may get on BBC One eventually. But for the moment, it, it, it doesn't out here in Australia. I think, I'm not sure if I saw someone posted it, it had got 80,000 viewers or something. I, I, I seem to recall that. But uh, again, we don't have that feel, as you say. No, which is very unusual in this day and age. So I guess we really don't know what 
the BBC bosses are thinking. Are they liking it? Are they not liking it? Do they think they've got their value for their money? I guess we will have to wait and see on that one. I think so. And now, without any further ado, unless you've got anything else to discuss... No, no, let's get into it. Let's get into co-owner of A Lonely Heart, which I thought was a great title. So, Rob, I'd like to know from the start, what's your headline thought on this one? Headline thought is, this was an April episode. I like April. I was happy. Okay. (laughs) I thought that might be what you'd say. I'm just keeping it nice and simple for now. Okay. I don't have a nice and simple answer to that question. Ooh. And that's because I want to I want to nuance and qualify my comments on this. Okay. I'll say at the very so I I guess the very headline point is I thought this was the weakest of the four so far. However, I think it's the weakest of the four for me personally. I think if you're part of the demographic this was aimed for, it might be the best of the four. But for me, particularly in the first half to two thirds, I felt that the the teen angsty YA stuff was just a bit too much for me, and there wasn't enough of the the plot and the character to keep me going. The last third it did tick up as the 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 B plot started to expand more. Uh, a couple of the other characters came into it more, and we'll talk about that. I did start to enjoy it more. And I actually, by the time we got to the end, I was looking forward to part two. Mm-hmm. But it was a very awkward, slow start for me, this one, I have to say. It's, it's the first one I've struggled with in any way. But I do qualify that by saying it, it's my problem, not the episode's problem. Mm, I completely understand what you mean. And I'll I'll add to my comment, actually, that although I'm very excited by the episode... I'm not going to be rating it any higher than any previous episode. I'll keep my score to myself for now. Mm-hmm. But uh, it it wasn't... I was seeing a lot of Twitter comments and stuff because I didn't watch it straight away because I had other things to do last night, um, such as interviewing a Doctor Who actress for, for our, one of our other shows. Priorities. Priorities. I was busy with, with other things. But I was seeing the Twitter comments of people saying, this is amazing, this is the best episode ever, wow. And I'm thinking, okay, that that sort of makes sense because I remember the trailer and I remember it looked quite exciting and, and, you know, I was thinking, wow, they've actually cracked it. But when I watched it, I thought, this is okay, I'm enjoying it, it's fine, but it's not actually where I thought it might be from the way people were pitching it on on social media. Mm. But again, they might be younger, they might be a different demographic, they could be precisely, as you say, the right audience for it and thus just lapping it up, the YA stuff. Yeah, I, I think that if you were somebody who was really, really into class, like it was hitting every button for you, this would be fantastic. If if you're, you know, slightly older viewers like us who are enjoying it for what it is, mm-hmm. which I think is where we both are, this this was a bit bit more of a struggle. But I will make a very positive point that I wrote down very early on in my notes. Okay. This to me, those early scenes where April's having some problems and there's the physical manifestations of the issue with the shadowkin and her heart. I thought we really are now seeing what the world is like where the doctor isn't going to turn up. Mm. And I really felt if this was a doctor who episode, we would know deep down that at some point the TARDIS will materialize, the doctor will come out and he'll make everything. Okay. There'll be a bit of drama on the way, but at some point the regulars will all be okay. So to watch a scene where April's going, I'm in real trouble, mm. and I don't have a solution, and you're thinking, 
wow, and the doctor's not about to turn up and fix this for her this time. She's she's just just stuck. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and talking of realizing things and things that are well realized, I liked seeing the heart appearing and disappearing in the Shadowkin's chest because we know they're sharing a heart, but I've always thought, how is this actually working? And you see it, it beats and then it disappears. It beats and disappears. I thought, mm. that's really cool. So I, I quite enjoyed how that was realised, for example. And indeed, the whole Shadowkin planet, I thought, was quite well realised. Given the budget that a show like this has, it, it was quite okay. Okay, so let's let's explore the Shadowkin, because mm-hmm. they were probably my biggest weakness of the episode. Not in terms of their visualisation, which I, I agree, given the budget, it's incredibly impressive what they've done. But I just, there were just lots of moments with the Shadow King when I was really taken out of it. I thought their voices are great for 30 seconds of, you know, do it or die, but they're not great for having a conversation about um, exposition. Mm, true. And we, there are sometimes I'm sitting there going, what, what are they talking about? Like, not even do I not understand the techno babble that they're saying, but I can't even quite understand what words they're saying, let alone who they all are and which each character is. And even though the, the, the I guess it was a scientist, Shadowkin, I thought sounded like Eldred, which was a nice little, no doubt, not deliberate throwback to the Hand of Fear. <laughs> no, that's, that's true. But yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And uh but he didn't last long, did he? He was only on screen for a little while. Yeah, and then we got the other one that came in, and uh, there was some sort of gags in there that I didn't think worked, like the way they were trying to parallel what was happening with April and the Shadow King Chief. A couple of times I just thought it was a bit too hokey. Um, a couple of times I thought it was a bit too Wizards versus Aliens, for anybody who's seen that little spin-off of a spin-off. Um, it, I... it, it just didn't work for me, Rob. I'm sorry. I know the scene you're referring to where the uh, the female Shadowkin is straddling the, the king and he's not into it. And I can, I can see exactly what you mean. At the same time, though, how many times have we seen aliens have sex or attempt to have sex in sci-fi before? And how many times have we seen it where one of them's not been into it? I thought, this is actually quite different and strange and rare. And even if it is a bit hokey, as you say it's kind of different they've kind of tried to do something different so i i gave it some marks for that i think yeah look i think it's very much one of those scenes that if you're enjoying the episode and and the episode's hitting you know hitting the mark the vibes your vibe that would be a really funny interesting exotic scene if like me you're sitting there going this isn't quite working for me today and then you hit that scene you go and this isn't working at all you need to be you need to be in the zone for it i think yeah, you can sometimes be in a mood where every little thing just gets to you and you, you're not laughing along and you're not having fun. I, I get what you mean, and it sounds like you were maybe in, in that mindset. Yeah, but my mindset did improve as we moved away from that. I mean, my, so so the, the Shadowkin was my biggest problem with the episode. And because the first half was very heavily about them, I didn't like the first half. As we moved away and we got into the B plot and we got a lot more of Miss Quill... Uh, we got a lot more of stuff with the principal. I was enjoying that a lot more. So I did pick up as I went on. Okay. Something you may have liked earlier in the episode too is uh, Ramstad has popped up again. And again, he's very sensible and cool. I know you yes. like that in the character. Yes. But uh, surely this means he's going to be a serial killer or something later on, right? He, he can't be this <laughs> sensible and serious amongst all this craziness. Look, you're, you, you, you make a very reasonable point there. I hope you're wrong. Because I just love the idea that 
you know, class has been very good in some ways of, of and we t- talked about this in the last couple of weeks, bursting the sci-fi tropes or bursting the YA tropes. And I love the idea that there's a dad out there who just is a normal dad. I I hope that they keep that the way. But yeah, I did really like that scene. And, and th- these little bits of normality are what keeps me going, even in a weaker episode. Bram's mm-hmm. characterization, that of his father, um, that of April's mother. These are bits that just make me go, okay, there is a grounding in reality that he's keeping me into the show, even if it gets a bit hokey at points. Yeah, and Ram also said, oh, you haven't told mum about my leg or something. So there's a mum out there somewhere as well who we haven't met. Yeah, I did wonder about that. Yes, I don't know whether we'll see her again, but at least they've made it clear that it's not just yet another single family in television where, sorry, single parent family where they don't have a plot reason for there to be two, so there is only one. Indeed. And as well as returning characters, we have a new character, a new head teacher. This is Dorothea Ames, played by the, the interestingly named Pookie Quesnel, who was the captain in A Christmas Carol in Doctor Who. She was piloting that ship that was almost crashing on uh, whatever planet that was. Oh, okay. Um, Christmas Carol, that's the one with the shark things. That's the one. The shark's in the sky and the guy won't yep. let the, the spaceship land safely. She was the captain of that spaceship. Oh, okay, cool. So, uh, a brief role, but uh, a Doctor Who tie-in, nevertheless. What did you think it make of her? Well, she pops up and has an interesting conversation with Quill initially, and then later on we realise she's representing the governors mm. and, you know, can maybe help Quill get the thing out of her head that makes her a slave to Charlie and so on. So, th- this governor's storyline is coming along very, very nicely. She's not freaked out at all by the the blood-sucking flowers that have popped up in this episode and look mm. like they become a much bigger deal in the next episode. Mm-hmm. I think this is a character who will stay the distance now. I don't think it's another head teacher that will get bumped off in an, in an episode or two. I think she might be here to be the conduit, perhaps, to the, the governors, whoever or whatever they are. Yeah, I think so. I, I really enjoy the way that they're slowly allowing that plot to roll out, and I hope the payoff's really, really worthwhile at the end of the series. I do like the way that they portrayed the new principal. I thought that it's another one of those roles, and we've seen a lot of them in class, where done badly, it could be totally unbelievable. But it's actually been done pretty well here. I, I quite like her. Now, Rob, I don't know whether you thought the same thing, but because there are these parallels between class and Buffy, right down to the nice principal being bumped off fairly early in the first season, were you kind of expecting Principal Snyder to turn up? <laughs> That that would have been appropriate, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Look, it's interesting you say that too, because if I can go back to the uh, the class enthusiast group on Facebook, there was someone just this week bringing up the the similarities to Buffy, and it's something we've talked about many times, and something yeah. the show doesn't hide from. It actually talks about it quite openly. I think Stephen Moffat even said, "I've been waiting for someone to do the British Buffy, and here it is," kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it it still seems that people are still picking up the show and going, "Oh, this is a bit like Buffy," and that's somehow colouring the way they see the the show which is which is a shame because i think there are a lot of differences to buffy as well oh it's a it's a very different show um the, the parallels as you say can't be escaped from any more than uh, you can't escape from parallels to grange hill because they're both set in similar sorts of schools i mean yeah. fiction only has so many different genres and types and universes in which it can exist and you're going to get comparisons between each of them uh, on the other hand though i know a couple of people that wouldn't be Doctor Who fans, but our Buffy fans. I've said to them, you know what, if you're at a loose end tomorrow night, just go and Ivy and check out this show class. It's like a British version of Buffy. Mm. And they've gone, oh, that sounds really cool. And they've gone and checked it out and quite liked it. And, and as I say, these are people who wouldn't 
go and check out Doctor Who. So that link is is quite a beneficial one. But um, yeah, getting back to the point, I think I think because you and I are both Buffy enthusiasts, I was waiting for the next principal to be their version of Principal Schneider. So when she turned out not to be, that was actually even more intriguing for me. And that's not a deliberate thing, but it just worked out that way. Yeah, from the get-go, she's uh, she's got me intrigued as well. I mean, we've we've had our issues with some characters like Quill. I mean, I'm I'm warming more and more to Quill as the episodes go on. But this character just hit hit the ground running from the first scene she was in. Absolutely. So it's going to be interesting to find out. And, and my mind, because I'm a sad Doctor Who fan, instantly goes to these <laughs> connections or possibilities. How, if she does, does she fit in with the broader Doctor Who world? So we know that in the Doctor Who world, we have unit. We have Torchwood, presumably still in some form in that universe. So are the governors linked in with them somehow? Uh, is is there a link between Ian Chesterton and the governors and those organisations? Or is this a whole separate thing? Or are the governors perhaps less benevolent than this episode was showing them to be? Because in episode two, it was implied they're going to be the big bad of the season. Now the principal works for them and she seems quite benign. Mm. But is that a false sense of security? It could go either way. I mean, to, to use a Doctor Who example, Unit, uh, in theory, the good guys, but in New Who have often been painted as slightly, not evil, but, but maybe not entirely good. Like the Doctor is certainly maybe opposed to them more than he would have been in, say, the 70s episodes when he was John Pertwee. Mm. Yeah, that's true. So here, they could be working for good or at least not evil, but they may be interpreted differently by different characters. Like, our heroes might think of them as as not being so nice when really they're okay in some ways. Yeah, there's definitely some possibility there. And the other thing might be that perhaps the governors are not benign, but their plots are as threatened by these blossom things as we are. So therefore, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and we'll all be allies to get rid of the Blossoms and then I'll take over the world. Yeah. So there's some possibilities to go down, but I, I like the way they're very gently rolling this out over the eight episodes. Indeed. Now, April and her relationship with the Shadowkin, what did you make of the scene where they're in class, they're talking about the retreat from Dunkirk, and April says they were cowards for doing this you know it's not how soldiers fight because she's channeling the shadowkin and obviously mm. that's the message we're getting but to say that the retreat from dunkirk was cowardly that would be like saying to us as australians that the retreat from gallipoli was cowardly yes. i'm sure that struck a nerve with some people i mean we we know what it's trying to say we, we, we know what it's trying to juxtapose between the shadowkin and and april but gosh what a way to do it yeah so it was quite an effective piece of writing and, and again, um, the actress playing April, whose name escapes me. Um, Sophie Hopkins. Yes. She played it very, very effectively. And I thought it actually worked, not just because it gave us a very good insight into the thinking of the Shadowkin, but because for the teacher having that class, it's not so extraordinary that you're going, why isn't she calling the police or why isn't she to do something? Because college-age teenagers do say some outrageous things mm. to show how unique they are or how edgy they are or how they've got a different insight into the way that the world works against the bourgeoisie <laughs> establishment elites. <laughs> so you can kind of imagine a, a precocious student in that situation 
you know, in Australia going, well, I'm going to put it out there that the people at Gallipoli were cowards because they want to spark that debate and show how independent they are. Exactly. Students say things like that. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking back to uh, my first day of university. We're in a communications class and we got some people out the front to introduce themselves and to, to give a little... I think we had to make up little presentations and on, on ourselves just to get the ball rolling. And this one guy got up there and said, oh, my name is such and such. And and I, I can't actually even repeat what he said because this is a, a family podcast, essentially. And all of us just sat there with our mouths agape. But it, it is the kind of thing that university students say and, and you know, year 12 students as well. I, I totally get what you mean. Mm. So in, in that sense, it works because I think the thing that class or any any tv show of this genre is at risk at is of the side characters teachers parents whatever not reacting in a way that is realistic and particularly ignoring stuff that they would not normally ignore Mm. in this case i thought they pushed april just far enough that the teacher would go okay april's being a pain in the ass teenager but it's within the bounds of pain in the ass teenagers yeah it's not alien um takeover (laughs) yeah yeah um, you know, had she actually started glowing red and saying, and all the people of your puny planet will die, you'd go, okay, teachers should actually react to that. Exactly. But they didn't go that far. They kept it just grounded enough. Exactly. Now, now speaking of other characters that might or might not be going over the top, Matesh has got this obsession all of a sudden with Charlie's Cabinet of Souls. And this seems to have come out of left field for me a, a little bit. I mean, he loves Charlie. He's, he's made love to him as well. He, he knows he's not a nutcase. You know, he seems to quite like him. Yet he's suddenly become really antsy about, oh, this cabinet, oh, what's in it? It's a weapon. Ah, I thought, where's this coming from all of a sudden? Yeah, so I had a couple of points on that. The first was, okay, it wouldn't be the first occasion that somebody, particularly a teenager, but even adults, get into a relationship physically and then go, hang on, I actually don't really know this person I'm sharing a bed with and you actually learn a bit more about their daily habits or their background or their beliefs and go, oh, maybe this isn't quite the perfect relationship I thought it was. So I kind of got that, but you're right, it did it did change tone very quickly. But I did wonder, given Matthias's name and accent which i think is meant to be eastern european or something i think possibly polish perhaps yeah so i thought given the history of that part of the world over the last 30 years there may be a sensitivity to that sort of thing i mean you know whether he was there in poland under communism or his parents uh you know were were from somewhere of that era you know whether whether it's romania or albania or, or or whatever maybe there is a sensitivity to that that we're meant to just assume based on what we know about him. Mm. But but you're right. It, in, in a show we've been mostly praising for being quite subtle and grounded, this wasn't subtle. Indeed. And and let's throw some, some more wood on the fire. Tanya also gets stuck into poor Charlie as well, you know, saying that he's got Quill as a slave. You know, yes. and, and I guess this slavery line holds a little more weight than Matesha's. Oh, that could be a weapon you might use. It. I don't know. Whereas... The slavery line, yes, it is essentially slavery, but she really hammers into him and, and mocks him for being a prince, and she's extremely aggro about it in one scene, and again, it's like, where did this come from? No, you see, I I found that scene annoying because it was preachy, but I did find it utterly believable, because if you look at the sort of things that students are now saying, the debates they're having, and I think it's more in the US and the UK than in Australia, but you see some of it in Australia... 
that, that that is exactly the tone of those conversations. So I actually found it incredibly realistic and a quite a good portrayal of the things that she would say and a good example of teenagers who make those arguments. And this is going to sound incredibly patronizing and condescending. So please listeners, excuse me, <laughs> but teenagers making arguments about big, complicated moral issues without nuance. And I thought it was totally believable that she did that. Now I found it annoying because I'm sitting there going, there is so much nuance in this debate you're missing that, it's it's really annoying, but I've had conversations in real life with people that are equally lacking in nuance and annoying. Mm. So I thought it was realistic. It was annoying though. Fair enough. But but what what about you? Because I mean, you 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 raise it. How did you find that whole? Because that, that was quite a long sequence between Charlie, Mateus, and and Tanya. I I just felt sorry for Charlie. I've got to say, I was kind of empathising with him the most. You know. He's, mm. He's sort of saying, you know, don't judge the morality of my planet, you know, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, quite right. He is an alien. It is a whole different mindset. They are applying Earth values to it. I mean, that's all they have to apply to it, of course. Yeah. But I uh, I did find myself empathising more more with Charlie, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I probably was as well. Yeah, yeah my, my empathising was with Charlie, but I didn't find the characterisations of the others unrealistic. Okay, well, let me let me try a third time with another character now. Um, April's super young, super hip mother. Uh, April has sex with, with Ram. Her mother finds out and is just nuts about it. She even threatens to kill Ram over, over this if he ends up hurting April. And I don't think she's joking. Again, this character is originally portrayed was like, as, as you were saying, I think, in our first episode, I'm your, I'm your friend, you know, we're, we're a similar age, we're great mates. Here, she was very, very different. I thought she would have been a little cooler about the situation. Yeah, I thought, as you did, that this was actually quite contrary to the characterization we'd seen in the past. But I also thought this was a conversation written by somebody who's never had to have that conversation or think about having that conversation, rather than one about written from the perspective of somebody who actually has been in that circumstance. It felt very, very after-school special. It felt very contrived. It, it wasn't a good scene. It wasn't done well. You know, Ram had a couple of okay lines in there, but it, I just can't imagine it going down that way at all. Between any, any of the three of them, I can't imagine acting the way they did in that scene. No, no, that's right. So it did stick out to me. And another thing that stuck out again is now that we've seen April's father, who popped up in this episode as well a couple of times, what's the age difference between the mother and father? Is it 25 or 30 years? They look so different. Yeah, I don't know whether that's just because he's meant to have had a bit of a rougher life because he spent the last few years in prison. But even so, now the actor who plays him, because I actually looked him up because he looked quite familiar to me, um, the actor plays him is 50. So there actually is quite a age gap there that the casting people would have known when they cast them. So perhaps that was deliberate. Yeah, it's 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 an odd one because April looks such a similar age to her mother. I don't, there doesn't even seem to be a gap of 20 years between them. Yeah, yeah. So that, look, that's all a problem. And I said The Shadow King was my biggest problem with the episode, and it is. The father was my second biggest problem with the episode. In this case, in a, in a show that's generally been quite inventive, 
this was just cliche after cliche after. You, you know, I didn't need to watch the fa- the, the father's plot because I could have written every line of dialogue he had from the first scene he was in. Yeah, it did write itself almost those scenes. <laughs> it, it didn't. It did. Now, talking of April's mum and her dad coming back, they all sort of come together in this big scene towards the end where April has her, her big freak out and it seems she's almost going to chop her dad up. Now, I, I wasn't convinced that she would, but it was certainly a tense scene. And again, Sophie Hopkins playing April, I think, is really doing some good work, you know, with, with yeah, these yeah. scenes. Where she's possessed by the Shadowkin, I think her, her acting is actually better than when she's just being April. Yeah, and, and the scene wasn't too bad. I, look, I thought it was a little bit melodramatic. That's okay. But again, I'll give credit to the show generally. Had this been a scene in an episode of Doctor Who, I would have had absolute certainty that she wouldn't have done anything to the dad. Hmm. Because it is class, there was a tiny part of me that just said, no, maybe they will go there. Because they they have gone places before that I've thought, no, they won't go there. And suddenly they've gone there. (laughs) And this one I thought, maybe they would. Maybe they would. So the the class tone does allow for a bit more of that tension because things that wouldn't happen in Doctor Who can happen. I see what you mean. I I still wasn't convinced, but I I absolutely see what you mean. And if that sword had come down and and someone had been splattered in the face with blood, probably Ram, um, (laughs) (laughs) it it maybe wouldn't have raised an eyebrow either. Yeah, no, look, it would have been a a big talking point. Uh, And look, I I say a little part of me, it was a little part of me, but yeah, okay. It, it, It obviously worked a bit better for me than it did for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and of course, the other big thing that happens in this scene, aside from April and Ram jumping through to the Shadowkin's uh, planet through that little rip that opens in time and space, of course, is that April seems to heal her, her mother's um, disability. Um, she, she does start moving her legs. She doesn't sort of get up and do a tap dance or anything crazy, mm. but uh, it does seem she's healed it somehow. Yeah, I again, maybe we're judging this scene unfairly because we need to see the follow-up next week but that whole thing of i'm sorry i'm about to cure you of your paralysis and i have and how did you do it and why did it happen or did you know that you could it was very much what's all that about for me Mm. yeah how did she learn to do that i mean it's one thing to be connected to the shadowkin but to sort of know how to do things innately that's it's a a bit of a leap yeah it's it's just another example in this episode of things just falling short for me. Um, and, and look, there have been lots of nice little bits all the way through as we've been discussing, but yeah, just these little other bits in between them where I've gone, yeah, no, that, that didn't work for me. And that was one of them. Okay. Any thoughts from you on the episode uh, overall or anything specific before we get to the next time and our uh, closing thoughts? Well, a couple of things that I think we just need to um, bring up. What did you think of the love scene between April and Ram, particularly given some of the conversations we've seen online about the scene last episode between Matthias and Charlie? I I wasn't shocked by it. I wasn't offended by it. I thought it was par for the course for what we've seen from the show. In saying that, though, I think the show is pushing boundaries I didn't think it would quite push. It, it almost looked like a love scene from an adult movie. Mm. I, I don't mean an X-rated movie. I just mean a, a, a movie for mature people, not a, not a young adult movie or TV show. So it, it's interesting in that respect. Um, I'm thinking you might have seen some of the comments online. People were a, a bit uh, anti the gay love scene. 
but to me, gay love scene's no different to a heterosexual love scene in this day and age. So I, I again, par for the course. You know, we've we've seen love scenes on Buffy. There was that whole episode where she powered the uh, the vines growing around the house <laughs> through having sex with Riley over and over and over and over again. So yeah, that, that was not, not twenty years ago. I'm back to that often. I must confess, that's not one of the better ones. It, it's not a good episode, no. But it's 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 not a new thing. So I sort of you know did, passed over me, washed over me. Yeah, great. They've done it. Yeah, I, I found it very interesting, and maybe this was just a choice of the director rather than anything else, but you're you're right. The way they showed this scene was very romanticised, stylized, uh, lovey, perfect, all the rest of it, as opposed to the scene last episode, which was a bit more raw and just two teenagers kind of going for it in a very basic way, mm. whereas this was a lot more choreographed was almost the word. Yeah, that's very fair, and you've you've sort of put my thoughts into sharper focus now because, like I say, it was more like an adult movie. It yes, it was more choreographed. It wasn't just two guys spooning and sort of rolling around a bit. It was, yeah, it was more lovey, romantic. Yes, so yeah, there was a difference there for sure to last week. Yeah, now we could be reading too much into that, where it's just a choice of how the director's chosen to shoot it. But it did stand out for me in what tries to be quite a realistic, not not gritty, but down-to-earth show to get this suddenly soft focus violins playing um you know choreographed positions you know they're, they're making love in exactly the right position for the camera to get the perfect shot you know, <laughs> you know as opposed to last week which didn't feel like that mm. yeah no very true good point um and the other thing we haven't touched on really is the b plot which for me was the savior of the episode the, the attack of the killer blossoms, and we're not talking about a bad show from the 90s. <laughs> no, we're not. This is really interesting stuff. I mean, when the first blossom fell and landed against April's um, window at the very start of the episode, I thought, oh, is this going to be like that Doctor Who episode where Clara was a leaf and she flew through the air and landed on her dad's face? Is, is that what this is like? No. Oh, oh, <laughs> don't, are, don't remind me. These are bloodsuckers, and, and the way they... Uh, they mutate once they've had a bit of blood. Very, very interesting. And of course, I, I said we'll get to the next time in a minute, but part of the next time is seeing them sort of attacking people and people are like all bloody and staggering about and there's dead animals and wow. Yeah, because we had that shot this episode of the, the squirrel or the rat or whatever it was in the gutter being eaten by them. So that's that's shown what they can do. Mm, and if they keep mutating and growing as... Uh, as this new character was telling us, um, we will be swamped by them. So how are we going to get out of this one? Now, I have to ask, have you seen the Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode, Trials and Tribulations? No, but I do know what tribbles are. There's there's a wonderful little gag in that episode where uh, Captain Sisko asks Dax how long it would take for the tribbles to multiply to whatever and and she gives, you know, 1,472,000. That's assuming, da da da, this many tribbles, this many, this birth rate, da da. And it's an exact copy of a line that Spock gives Kirk in the original Trouble with Tribbles episode. Nice. And so it's, 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 a, it's a nice little throwback. And I was kind of, my inner nerd was kind of hoping someone was going to go with like a reference to that line. Yeah. I don't know if any other Star Trek fans out there were waiting for that as well. Like, if they multiply at this rate, we will have this many and this da da da. Uh, so that, that that was a missed opportunity, I thought, for a nice little bit of inner sci-fi uh, geek referencing. But I, I thought it was an interesting idea. And getting back to what I said last week, it's not another case of 
CGI Monster of the Week. This is a interesting, different, original uh, alien invasion concept so far. And so I'm intrigued, and I like this originality that class is bringing to its storylines. Even if this episode hasn't really hit the mark for me generally, the bits of class I like are still carrying me through the series. It almost makes you wish, gosh, a little more originality. We wouldn't have had to have had CGI Dragon of the Week, you know, a couple of weeks back. And, yeah. And you know what? Let's go even further. Let's say, did we really even need Capaldi in that first episode? Could this have all stood on its own? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, we'll, we'll know better in four weeks' time how that balance has actually been, whether these first couple of episodes, as you say, will kind of stand out as being not the same as the others, or is this just a nice little patch we're going through in episodes three and four? But yeah, I'm liking this originality, and this is this is keeping me into class, even if I'm not enjoying every moment of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have liked it up until now, so this is the aberration, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I, I hope it is. I hope this is the low point of the eight, um, because all the trends are really good. I'm liking the series. I'm liking the characters. I've liked three out of the four episodes. This one just didn't hit the mark for me, but that's my problem, not the show's problem. Mm. All right. Can we get on to next time? Yes, please. Okay. Next time we see April and Ram walking through Mordor, or at least the Shadow <laughs> the Shadowkin planet. Yes. Uh, looks like there's some interesting action scenes going on, and we see more of this world that I said earlier is, is really well realised on the budget they have, so that's that's good, and it's taking us away from the school environment too, indeed away from Earth altogether. So that's great. Mm. Uh, we see the, the flowers really getting vicious with people. I think it's going to be a bit of a, a bloody episode compared to this one where just a few people prick their fingers every now and then. Yeah. I'm I'm hoping for good things, you know. I I think it could be great. Yeah, I must admit, as as the episode wrapped up and I'm starting to scribble my notes down and thinking, oh, what sort of score would I give this? And, uh, I don't know. And then I've watched the next time trailer. I've, I've gone, that looks really cool. Mm. I want to see next week. Excellent. Well, that's that's what they're hoping. So we'll be <laughs> we'll be back. But before we're back, let's have a a score for this one. Shall I go first this time? Yeah, please do this time. This time around, I am going with an 8, which is the same score I gave the last episode. Even though people out there seem to be raving more about this episode than the previous one, I didn't see it really step up for me personally from the last one, but I didn't think of it as a big step down either, so I'm, I'm going to hover at that 8 mark. Okay, well, this no surprise after our discussion. This is going to be our biggest divergence of the series so far, because I'm going with a 6. Wow. Which is not an awful score. There's lots of positive bits in it, but it's it is the weakest of the four, so I have to go lower than I've gone the other three. So I think six is about right. All righty. Well, what did you folks think out there? Email us at hello at the dwshow.net. Find us on Twitter at the DW Show. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the DW Show and share your thoughts. We'd love to read them out on the show. Well, there's the bell. The show's over. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show Presents Class, the podcast where Rob and Dave from The Doctor Who Show review the new BBC series Class week by week. If you like what you heard, why not tell a friend? Why not visit our website at www.thedwshow.net or drop us a line. We're on Twitter at The DW Show, facebook.com forward slash The DW Show and email hello at thedwshow.net. Of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or listen to the episodes through the website. The Doctor Who Show and all of the programs on our feed are by fans, for fans, 
and are also free. That means free of charge and also free of adverts. We'll see you next time.